Okay. Um, we're in the third week of Advent, right? No. Second. Second week of Advent. Okay. Sorry about that. So, pay no attention to what that says. But I just want you to know that today's um, today's passage, today's lesson from the Scriptures brought up a big question for me in terms of the whole Mary and Joseph and Jesus story. And the question that I had is, why did God do it that way? In regards to the story of those three, why did it have to be so difficult? I mean, couldn't He just have transported them from Nazareth to Bethlehem, like beam them over or something? Isn't that within God's power? Of course it is. But He didn't do it that way. He made them walk the 80 miles or so with Mary on the verge of delivering. That just seems to me to be a difficult way to do it. Why did God do it that way? And then when it came to the whole flight to Egypt, why couldn't God have taken just a small portion of that army of angels that showed up the night that Jesus was born and appeared to the shepherds? It says the heavenly host appeared to them, remember? Host is the word for armies. They were the armies of heaven. And they were singing. Praises to God, peace on earth with people with whom He's pleased. Today in the city of David is born to you a Savior, Christ the Lord. I mean, couldn't He have taken a part of that heavenly army and just protected Mary and Joseph and Jesus from all the evil intentions of Herod? Why did they have to get up and go all that way to Egypt. Why? Why do it that way with the Magi coming? Why do it that way with the dreams? Why do it that way with the whole difficult journey? Why? Why does God have to let it be so difficult? We're going to look at the passage. And I frankly don't know whether I'm going to come up with the adequate answer. Because sometimes we never told why. But let's take a look at the passage anyway. We're going to start where Dave uh, was last week. Matthew one twenty. But after he considered this, this is after Joseph is considering divorcing Mary quietly and putting her away because she's found to be pregnant with a baby that's not his. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, angels very often appeared in dreams. And that's not odd. But this is where... 
Joseph's insight into the whole situation comes in. Dave talked about the great interruption of Joseph's life that he found out the, that we talked about with, with, when Dave was speaking last week about finding out Mary was pregnant. And all of a sudden, an angel comes and says, listen, let me explain this situation to you. This is why this is important. He's kind of like Joseph's own personal Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? To let him know what he can do. His own personal Gandalf. To help him out on the journey that's ahead. It's great that God is providing for Joseph some allies coming up here on what's going to be a very treacherous journey for him. And I don't just mean him walking around from Bethlehem to Nazareth, or from Nazareth to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem to Egypt, and then back again. But I'm talking about the whole thing. This whole idea of entering into this salvation story and having his life turned upside down. There's a, a way in which when God interrupts our lives and calls us on some kind of journey. It's not just for us. It's for the whole world. And this is where Joseph's personal story enters into God's bigger story. And don't forget that when God interrupts your life, He's calling you into something bigger that's going to be not just for you, but for others. Part of salvation history. Your response matters. And Joseph responds, well, let's go on into chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, we're going to stop right there for a second. There's a big space where that comma is. A big span of time, okay? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, this may be news to some of you, but um, we weren't always on the calendar that we're on now. In the time of Mary and Joseph, they were on a Roman calendar that actually began with the birth of Rome. The whole world was on the whole Western world, rather, was on a calendar that began with the birth of Rome. And then, centuries later, people thought, wait a minute, why are we still going on the Roman calendar? Why don't we change things to the most important date in the history of the world as we know it? The advent, the coming of God in human form. And so they decided to make the birth of Jesus year one. Now, you probably think that Jesus was born in year zero. There is no year zero. Okay? So they said, we're going to have the birth of Jesus be year one. But they didn't have all the information that we have now. Like, specifically, they didn't know what year King Herod died. So they got it wrong. So actually, Jesus is born about 6 B.C. We know this because Herod died in 4 B.C. 
So really, instead of being 2017, right now it's like 2012. Just in case you were wondering. You can turn the clock back. So our calendars are off by several years. Now, these magi, um, sometimes we call them kings, right? We three kings of Orientar tried to smoke a rubber cigar. That whole thing, well, <clears throat> they weren't really kings. I mean, so if you've got a little nativity set at home and they've got crowns on their heads, then you can just, like, chip those crowns off or paint them black because they, they aren't kings. They're magi. Which is short for, what do you think? Magicians. Yes. They were magicians. They were astrologers. They were pagan, religious, semi-religious types, philosopher types. They were stargazers, the astronomers of their day, shrouded in mystery. And, and these guys are probably in Babylon is where we think they came from and um, they are looking at the stars and they're figuring from their astrological charts that because in this particular constellation that refers to the nation of Israel there is a conjunction of planets that's making a new star and so we're thinking you know that there's a king well they, you know besides the stars they also had the, the writings of the prophet Daniel from when he was in Babylon so they knew about you know the weeks that are actually years leading up to the uh, coming of this true king of Israel that Daniel foretold there's even some pagan prophet Balaam who predicted a ruler would rise out of Israel to rule the whole world so it was all these things kind of put together and they're looking at this guy and they see that uh, there's a king being born. Now, assuming the star appeared when Jesus was born, these guys are like 900 miles away in Babylon. Let's go to the next slide. There's a little map. They're over here on the right in what is present-day Iraq, Iran, around that area. And um, they're going to make it all the way over to the left, over there to Israel, to, to Jerusalem and Bethlehem where Jesus was born. 900 miles. They didn't do that overnight. On camels or donkeys or on foot, whatever they had. So they had to see it. They had to plan for the trip. They had to make the trip. So we think that by the time they get to Bethlehem, at least a year has gone by. Maybe more. Let's go to the next slide. And there's probably not just three of them. Because if you're traveling across the Middle East with treasures that are fit for a king, you're not going to ride alone. So, these guys have a cohort at least of people with them. Provisions, protection, all that kind of thing, right? And there may have been more than three. 
The Eastern churches say there were 12. The Western churches say there were three because there are three gifts. There could have been a dozen or more magi who came all at the same time. 900 miles. This actually is a practical application for those of you who have nativity sets at home. That means that um, if you've got wise men in your nativity set, then you shouldn't have them very close to the stable the night Jesus is born. Like you should take those three wise men and you should take them maybe to a corner of the house, the farthest corner in the bedroom, away from the living room where your nativity set is because they really haven't even begun their trek yet. Maybe take them outside in the backyard. Okay? Just you want to be historically a little more accurate. All right. Let's go on to verse 2. And they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So there's a few um, theories about this star. There are some people who think it was some kind of natural phenomenon that occurred in the heavens, you know, like a comet or something, or unusual conjunction of planets. I quote, In ancient Babylonian astrology, Jupiter represented the primary deity. When Jupiter came close to Saturn, which represented the Jews, in the constellation Pisces, which represented Palestine, the Magi referred to Jupiter as the star of the king they were seeking, and the association with Saturn and Pisces showed them in which nation the Jews and where Palestine to look for him. That's, that's one theory. Another theory is that the star was a supernatural thing, a supernatural astral phenomenon that God used to herald Jesus' birth, that God just did it. And then the other idea is that it was an angel, a very, very bright angel that decided to uh, hang out in the, the sky, in the constellation for quite some time. And does some weird things after that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, verse 3, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And the Greek word there is actually stronger than disturbed. It might be better translated distraught. And all Jerusalem with him. When they had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, why would Herod be upset about this? Well, if you're a king and you're reigning and they say there's a new king on the horizon, that's a little troubling. It's more troubling when you know you're not the rightful king of Israel. Herod was a puppet king installed by the Romans. He ruled because of Roman military might in Jerusalem. 
He was not part of the line of David. He had no legal claim to the throne. He knew that. All the Jews knew that. Besides that, they despised him because he was a jerk. He taxed them very heavily because he was building all these projects. He wasn't very well liked. And this whole astrological thing uh, in signs in the heavens about a new ruler, I mean, that was fairly common lore in the ancient world. You know, Caesar Augustus said that there was a sign in the heavens when he was born, etc., etc., etc. It wasn't unusual to hear about this. So when Magi, respected pagan astrologers from the East, come, he's wondering, hmm, maybe there's an invasion force coming behind these guys. Because all of his problems as ruler had been coming from the east, not from the west. Because the west is where Rome was, and the east is where everybody else who thought he was illegitimate was. And so he actually had fortified the eastern border by this time. The rest of Jerusalem, it sees, is, is also upset and I'm thinking, why would they be upset if they're looking for the Messiah? Why would they be disturbed? Well, it's pretty easy. I mean, if you've curried favor with the current ruler, if you're in a position of power in the Sanhedrin, scribes, Pharisees, whatever, you're in the positions of, of, of honor and maybe even on a dole from the government, you don't want a new king to come in because when a new king comes in, you know, the old staff gets wiped out. <laughs> it's like the changing of the guard in Washington, D.C. People lose their jobs when a new president comes. Well, not only do people lose their jobs when a new king comes, people lose their lives. And that's why the rest of Jerusalem is disturbed as well. So, uh, Herod knows enough to ask specifics from the people who know the Scriptures. And so he goes to the priest and teaches of the law to ask them where the Messiah is supposed to be born. Let's go to verse 4, or verse 5. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is in Malachi, sometimes pronounced Malachi, if you're Italian. But the prophet Malachi had predicted this centuries before. It's ironic that pagans from the East, non-Jews, are coming to worship the baby Jesus. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Jewish people who should be overjoyed are very disturbed about all this. You see, Bethlehem was the birthplace of King David. And Jesus is born 
the rightful heir to the throne. Jesus was born to be king. Herod was just placed there by the Romans. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Well, that's a lie. That's a lie. Herod just was trying to find out through these guys. And the interesting thing is is that he trusts them to come back and tell him. Because these guys, being from so far away, had no reason to think that Herod was being deceitful. They didn't know about Herod's reputation. His murderous reputation. Herod would murder anybody who may come and try and take away his throne. He murdered three of his sons. He murdered his second wife. If he thought anybody was getting close to usurping him. Augustus Caesar had a pun. It's a pun in Greek. It's not a pun in English. But he said he'd rather be Herod's pig than one of his sons. The word for pig and the word for son, you know, sounds similar. in the Greek. Well, Lord, I don't know what's going on out there, but let's just take a moment. Lord, I pray for whatever is going on out there right now with the uh, emergency medical vehicle. I ask if there's anyone who is uh, hurting that you would be close and you would help and that you would heal and you would give uh, them wisdom on how to deal with that situation uh, on the official end. Have mercy, Jesus. Amen. What's that? Oh, it's a fender bender. Okay. And there's a... Okay. Well, maybe somebody's got whiplash. All right. Go to verse 9. After they heard the king... They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them till it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, this is where it gets weird, folks. This ain't just any ordinary star anymore. They are in Jerusalem, which is like five to ten miles away from Bethlehem. And somehow this star appears to them in Jerusalem and leads them to where the baby is in Bethlehem. All right? At this point, I do believe it's an angel. Because it leads them to the exact place. In any case, it's a miracle. It's just weird. Verse 11. On coming to the house... Okay. On coming to the house... The Greek word there is oikos. Oikos. That means house. 
It doesn't mean shed. It doesn't mean shack. It doesn't mean stable. It means house. Because remember, I told you that comma represented a long period of time, maybe more than a year, as these guys are leaving Babylon and coming all the way over to Bethlehem. It's taking them some time to get there. And by this time, they're in a house. And they saw the child with his mother. Child. Pedi is the word in Greek in the Scripture. It's where you get the word pediatrics. It's child. It's not baby. It's a different word for, word for baby in Greek. The same way there's a different word for baby in English than there is for child. So it's been some time. Mary and Joseph have lived in Bethlehem for a while. They're in a house. Jesus is a toddler. He's probably one to two years old. They opened, they saw the child with his mother. On coming to the house, they opened, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They bowed down and they worshipped him. They thought they were worshipping an earthly king. They were worshipping better than they knew. Okay, stop for a second. God has the pagan New Agers coming into the story of salvation. Does that not kind of blow your mind a bit? He has the magicians coming in and bowing down and worshiping. Isn't that kind of strange to you? These aren't Christians. I mean, it just doesn't fit with the way we think God operates, does it? God chooses the wrong people to come and worship Jesus. Which gives me a lot of hope. Because I'm the wrong person to come and to worship Jesus. Maybe you felt like the wrong person. Like you don't belong in church. Like there's no way God would want you part of His family. And yet... God makes sure and uses dubious means to make it happen. The stars, astrology, all that stuff's forbidden for the Jews. God uses whatever He has to use to get you to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you think it's the proper way or if it's the improper way. He will speak through the weirdest dudes 
if he wants to get through to you. All truth is God's truth. And although they see both the child and Mary, I want you to notice they bow down and they worship only the child. I'll make that very strong. They worship only the child. Then they open their gifts, treasures. And they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were standard kingly gifts in the old world. Gold still is a kingly gift, right? Frankincense, maybe not so much. Myrrh, not so much anymore. But frankincense is a very, very valuable incense. Myrrh becomes uh, a scent that you can put in oils and things like that. It, very hard to get, very limited quantities. So therefore, it's very expensive. Verse 12, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. having been warned in a dream. My guess is this angel is on, you know, high alert. <laughs> and God is directing this angel. Okay, I want you to go to this person. I want you to go to this person. I want you to go to this person. I want you to go here. I want you to go there. I want to make sure we get everything covered. Because these magi, they don't understand murderous King Herod. So I want them to go the long way home. And they had to go a real long way, a lot rougher way to get home. But when you're visited by an angel, I mean, think of what's going on in these guys' minds. They're seeing some supernatural events. And there's church legend that the these guys, you know, are still alive after Jesus' resurrection and the apostle Thomas baptizes them or something and they become saints. And I don't know if that's true or not. But you know, God was letting them in on something. And being warned in a dream by an angel had to be f freaky. I, I you know, Here's the thing. Whenever God gives supernatural signs like this, it usually means the way ahead is going to be kind of rough. Just FYI, if you've ever prayed for a supernatural sign, God, show me something. If God gives you that sign, it means that your life is going to be difficult for a while. Because you're going to need that sign to look back and go, why am I doing this again? Oh, yeah. Because of that sign from God. Verse 13. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. 
Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That's an illustration by our very own Naomi Haviland. She did for me about a year ago. What do you think this angel thought about all this stuff? In First Peter, we're told that uh, angels long to look into these things. This angel's got to be going, what is going on? What is God doing? I wonder what is being planned. Do you realize that this whole thing is on display of the angels? Not just what's going on with Mary and Joseph, but everything that's happened since then. Like your life is somehow a testimony to angels about what God is like. They're finding out about the mercy of God, about the love of God, about the long-suffering of God by watching God's interactions with you and your interactions with Him. We all have angels, the Bible says. We all, we all, we're sure, right? We have guardian angels. We call them guardian angels. We're not supposed to pray to them. We're not supposed to talk to them. They're just there to do God's will in our lives. But they're there in the unseen world. I mean, this room is probably filled with angels, with your angels. And they're wondering, they're watching. They're learning about a God they don't know as well as you do. Because God lives inside of you. Fascinating little question to go off and think about for a while. And so... They're taken off on this trip. I mean, what's Jesus going to do with gold and frankincense and myrrh? Anybody ever thought of that? What's a little one-year-old going to do with all that stuff? Chew on it for a while? Drool on it? Jesus' family is about to become refugees living in another country. You might almost say they're illegal aliens in Egypt. Because I don't think they went to the you know, consulate and got permission. They're probably going to go to Alexandria, which was a large city, maybe a million people, large Jewish population there. It might take some time for Joseph to get work as a carpenter. I mean, you know how it is. If you've ever been in business or if you're ever starting a business, you go out and start talking to people. You know, they already have all their suppliers. Thank you very much. Used to be in sales. I wasn't always a pastor. I know what that's like. It's hard to get started. I mean, when I tried to get started in sales, I mean, I was pulling out of my savings account until there was none left, just trying to develop a territory. How do you think Joseph is going to survive? How is he going to provide in, for his family? Wait a minute. There's that gold. There's that frankincense. There's that myrrh. Maybe we could sell some of this stuff and we could actually live and survive in Egypt for a while. So you see... The Magi had to come from 900 miles away to provide 
Jesus' family with provision for the next couple of years. And we're pretty sure if Jesus was born in 6 B.C., Herod dies in 4 B.C., they were there for about a couple of years. We also know that once all this happens, Herod gets really ticked off and orders his soldiers to go and kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem, two years old and under. All of them. All right. I really wanted to go through that passage slowly. And I'm going to make some final wrap-up comments quickly. Each one of you has enemies. Now, you go to the next slide. Each one of you has enemies, don't you? I'm not just talking about the flesh and blood enemies. Your neighbor who's a jerk. That person at work who always gives you a difficult time. I'm talking about demonics. The Bible says that our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. A fallen world. And the people that are in it. A world that is uh, polluted. A world that's not the way it should be. There's our own fleshly nature. There's our own propensity to sin and do the stupid wrong thing over and over again. That's one of our enemies that lives inside of here. And then there's a devil, right? Has God given you any allies to protect you from those enemies? Think about your life for a minute. I want you to think about, has there ever been any kind of mentors in your life who've come alongside of you and really helped you out in the rough patches? Your own personal Yodas. Can you think of anybody? They didn't have to be a Christian. Seems to me that God uses pagan astrologers. He can use non Christians in your life as well, can't He? And has God ever provided for you the things that you need before you need them? You know, it's like me. If I get a windfall, if you know, I don't know, you know, you get a tax refund or something you didn't expect. Usually, what I want to do is go out and spend it right away. But as I've gotten older, what I found out is, you know, a lot of times God has a purpose for that. If I just wait and listen, He's providing for something I'm going to need in the future. Joseph attracts some pretty dreadful enemies. Every hero does. So do you. But God is good to provide 
allies and provisions, protection and provision for you as you go on that journey. Could God just click his fingers and you would be fine? Yep, he could. But he doesn't do it that way. He wants to use other people because it's part of his salvation story. He's doing something in those people as well as he's doing something in you. He's doing something in the Magi as well as he's doing something in Joseph and Mary. I think it's part of the reason sometimes things are not as easy as we'd like it to because God's got a bigger story going on that you've entered into. He's got a salvation story and you're playing your part in that salvation story. Who's the star of the salvation story? Jesus. He gets the glory. Not you. And the next point. The Magi brought provisions for the journey. Ironically, Jesus is their eternal provision. And He is ours as well. Let me just say that um, when I read the Scripture, what I find is that Jesus is not only my protection, the name of Jesus is powerful against all my enemies. But Jesus is my provision. He is that for the Magi. He is that for Joseph. He is that for Mary. And he is that for us. The purpose of the Magi's visit was to worship the one who was born king of the Jews. But their actions point to a deeper truth than they even knew. This story is in line with that famous verse from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever would believe in Him would never perish, but have eternal life. 